0: Hello and welcome to Off The Record, episode 2.17. I'm very excited to be here today with Jesse Richmond, who you may know as a former contributor to Property Zach and a music journalist of many other fantastic publications. Jesse, how you doing? I'm great. How are you, Jesse? I am all good. And, you know, thank God that we don't have to address each other like this to make everybody confused to the whole podcast.
1: Yeah, seriously. It it was complicated enough and we were both doing stuff in Property Zach.
0: It it, it is true. There would be that thing of uh, when somebody would have to qualify that one of us said it and then remember that there was two of us. It was was not always enjoyable because, I mean, you and I do disagree at times and then who would want each other's horrible opinions about about things uh, being attributed to the other? (laughs) <laughs> you, you, you've dispersed my good name. <laughs> so you and I were talking about last week, and we were going to tape this last week, but you went and saw the Kanye theater experience since you now I did. are in Florida. And one of the things you said to me, that I thought was really interesting, because I've been thinking about lately, is that it allowed you to give your full attention to the thing. And why don't you talk about that a little bit and like what that was like watching that in the theater? It did. So, so, so
1: like you were saying, I, I went and did the theater experience um I, I i am a very very big kanye fan so let me preface this by saying that i, I didn't do it you know it wasn't for professional reasons it's because i wanted to go and experience the new album and see see his fashion show and all that uh and my wife is also a, a diehard kanye fan and it was it was our it was our first date alone since we, we had our little guy three months ago wow so
0: outing.
1: Hey, then for, for us, that's as romantic as it gets. Uh,
0: I, you know, that's what I, I think I need to look for in my next thing because I, I I'm a big Kanye fan too, and I'm like, if you don't want to have a romantic Kanye outing, uh, this is this is not my uh light, my, not my soulmate.
1: Right, right, yeah. So so we went and we did this whole theater experience where he, you know, he he did for people who somehow missed it, which I I can't imagine anybody did because it's all anybody's been talking about for weeks. <laughs> uh, but for anybody who missed it, Kanye uh, did an album release fashion show at madison square garden and as part of that i know a lot of people ended up watching it on the web but they also simulcast it to movie theaters across the country and so we, we went to our, our local cineplex down here uh, and it was me and my wife and maybe i'd say the theater was about a third full and the two of us were probably the only ones of legal drinking age. Uh, now, that may have been because it was four in the afternoon that they were doing this. I, I took off of work early, especially to go. But uh, it was definitely, you know, we were a little bit the fish out of water there. But anyway, so, you know, it's a movie theater. You settle in and, you know, the lights are dark and the sound is loud and you've got the big screen. And, I mean, the number one rule of movies is you don't have your phone out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was tweeting up a storm before the before the whole thing started and kind of following along as people were jumping on the on the video feed online and stuff. But then when the show started, I, I stuck my phone in my pocket and it was a really, a really enjoyable experience just kind of being allowing myself to be surrounded by what was going on and to take in the event and kind of live in the moment for a minute. And it's just so when events like this are going on, it's just so second nature for me to be on Twitter, whether it's, you know, live tweeting the Grammys the other night or whether, you know, there's there's some big story happening in the music world. You know, I, I, I kind of I don't even want to say, like, I live my second life online. I almost feel like I live my first life online sometimes and my second life offline. <laughs> uh, I, I'm with you there but so it was it was really nice to just kind of put that away and just almost be forced to to soak it in because even like you know you go to a concert and everybody's got their phone out you're tweeting between songs or between sets and you're taking photos and you're taking videos and this was just like it was the theater it was just not the right place to have your phone out and so it kind of forced me into a situation that I forgot how much I enjoyed mm-hmm. and so so I've been thinking a little bit more about this afterwards, and kind of this this incessant need to be online and be part of the conversation. I know the term FOMO gets batted yes. around a lot, but the fear of missing out, and that that's definitely a degree of that kind of craving for being online and being talking to people. But I realize that for me, it's it's not even the fear of missing out on what's being said. It's the fear that if I'm not part of the conversation, that I'm I'm losing out in some way. You're losing your you ass. Yeah, yeah, that and just sort of like as somebody who who writes about music, mm-hmm. you know, in, in in some sort of professional capacity, and as somebody who who makes kind of their thing as being in the know about music and being involved in the conversation, anytime I sit out a conversation I've realized it feels like like I'm moving a little bit down in the status ranks and other people are climbing ahead of me because mm-hmm. they're making good points and I'm not part of it or something mm-hmm. which is just a terrible way to live it's really it really is. not healthy and so so I, I've been processing this a little more in, in the the last few days and I think I need to to make it a priority to not be not feel the need to insert myself in the situation or at least you know when these things are going on to evaluate why why am i jumping on and taking part of this sometimes it's you know just for the camaraderie mm. it's for the the fun of all being in in something together and and i think that's normal and healthy but there becomes a point where you have to sort of examine your own motives and so i'm i'm glad i sort of had this this little this little head check moment as i was as I was enjoying uh, The Kanye Show. And it, it turned out to be a great show. I thought it was fantastic. I thought, you know, it was the first play through the album, which now apparently is actually only half the album because Kanye made a bunch of changes afterwards. <laughs> uh, but it was really enjoyable hearing a lot of these songs for the first time. Ultralight Beam was incredible, mm. uh, it was just a, a wild way to start it. I thought the visual component was actually really important to the experience. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was just a really good enjoyable time and and I need to do that more often and worry less
0: so, so I had a, a similar thing of I went and saw um Gaspar Noe's love in the movie theaters alone and I turned off my phone and I didn't talk to anybody and I was like wow that's the first time I've done that for two and a half hours straight and I can't remember how long and ever since then I've been taking the time to go okay if I'm going to experience something great I'm going to now do this without the phone on and I'm going to do this and give it my full attention because I was even noticing that like TV shows I'd normally be more passionate about I wasn't feeling as passionate about because I'm only half paying attention because I'm paying attention to Twitter because I had a similar thing of uh I want to be part of the conversation and I want to know what's going on and I'm so afraid that I'm going to miss a link to one of my new favorite things to also not appreciate and Right, right. And I think there's an interesting thing though that you said that I really identify with too is that I'm um, I don't have a lot of shame in my Twitter addiction and like I do sometimes feel like my first life is my Twitter community because I work alone usually in a windowless room all day and I – often my only interaction with people throughout the day is reading what everybody's tweeting about and going back and forth with them and that's kind of like having coworkers when I'm all alone all day and – sure. I kind of miss that, like, you know, like if we were talking to a neuroscientist, they're saying, like, you're just craving feedback, and you just want to hear what your thoughts bounced off of someone.
1: Right, and and like I was saying, I think it's important to be to be mindful of why you're doing that, because I think there is a, you know, that I think it is probably healthy for someone who's spending, you know, if you're spending 12 hours behind the mixing desk by yourself, it's mm-hmm. probably healthy that you're communicating with other people in some way, mm-hmm. it, it's just a matter of, you know paying attention to what your motivations are and to what you're getting out of it and then to why you're doing it.
0: I I am totally with it. So so what are the other things that I think you hit on in this that um, I'd love for you to talk about? So one of the things I appreciate about follow you on Twitter is that you tend to have great taste in what's good music journalism. I've even started following people from seeing you praise them and things like that. And I was curious um, if you could give... uh, some insight in what you find usually appealing in music journalism. Uh, what I find appealing in music
1: journalism. That's interesting because I, I, you know, I, I feel like all of my favorite writers have like their own take on things. And maybe, maybe that's what it is. That's my favorite thing. is just having a unique angle and a unique perspective and a unique take on things. Cause it's not like I prefer like one sort of article over another or like I prefer, um, reading an interview over a think piece over uh, uh a concert review or something it's, it's more about about individual writers and and what they kind of bring to the table hmm. um yeah i i like people who have i like people who when i read their writing i say oh i never thought of that why did i never think of that it's the people who kind of tap into that that thing where you read it and you're like that should have been obvious, but it wasn't. Why wasn't it obvious, and why did it take me reading this to, to realize this? It's that kind of that moment of revelation. I feel like I feel like now is maybe a better time than ever for music writing, hmm. uh, just in terms of the number of people doing it and the number of people doing it well. And and the ease of finding that stuff, you know. I I think a lot of people sort of lament the days of, you know, that in the '80s and '90s when Rolling Stone and Spin and these other magazines had these these huge budgets and writers were able, you know, to fly to Milan to spend a week with, you know, the band and their, you know, as they were making their million dollar album in the in the the crazy recording studio and all. And, you know, that that stuff doesn't happen anymore. But instead, you know, you've got so many people out there who, who, because of the Internet and because of the way that we all communicate now, are able to kind of put their voice out there. And I do think there's something to be said for the fact that if you're, you know, if you're insightful enough and intelligent enough and you write things that that really pique people's interest that that your voice will be found one way or the other and and i think there's really just a wealth of great stuff out there right now
0: and i think there's also a thing that um i've kind of had with music lately too is that like you know as people get the memo that there's not as much money in music there i think that there's been a lot of vacuous idiots who didn't really love it but thought they were gonna get famous who went (laughs) i think i'll go i think i'll become a youtuber (laughs) <laughs> and I, I'm sorry. That's, you know, that's just my observation. I, I, there's some people who get really mad yeah. at me when I when I say that the vacuous have gone to YouTube because there is exceptions, but
1: I, I will say I do not spend much time on YouTube. Partly, partly that's because I am so addicted to to information input that I can't I can't handle having to watch and listen and focus all on one thing. For Hmm. for the ten minutes or however long a video lasts, like I I'd rather be reading an article while skimming through Twitter and while listening to music on my headphones at the same time,
0: you know. Hmm. So 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 I have this thing of when I have uh, people over, I DJ off of YouTube and I have some playlists and stuff like that. But like I actually really like discussing the marriage of video and audio, and like there's also just something nice of like you know it'll spur a good conversation. I find a lot. So I actually watch a ton of YouTube, but I also get what you mean that I also want to be ingesting so much information that like the idea of um, sitting, listening to somebody talk for 10 minutes, really slow about their opinion about something or like, you know, watching an Anthony Martino video. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm good on that. Thank you very much. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Tell me though, uh, some people that are doing this well and what you like about them, because I think that there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who Probably only read in the punk niche that we're in and don't get out and read enough of it. And like, while there's some people who do it very, very well, and there's some people I very much appreciate in the punk ghetto, if you will, there's um, many people outside of it, I think, who do it really well and just don't. And, you know, the funny thing is, I think that many of the people who do it best write about the ghetto of music that most people hate because they think it's so dumb, (laughs) is pop music and I think most, most of the best music writing is in pop music.
1: Yeah, by and large the best music writing is about pop music right now and I think that's because music writing has kind of gone from a place of just chronicling, you know, a band's misadventures or talking about like the sonic qualities of their album and it's really gone to a place of analysis by and large right now. I think that's kind that's of rare. The current trend is, is is looking at how music interacts with our world, how it, how it informs the ways that we think about the world and what it tells us about the world that we're experiencing that we might not be noticing without that music and you know the interplay between music and society. And so for that You know That's always most effective and most apparent in pop music because pop is the music that most people are listening to. It's the music that, even if you're not a fan of it, you can't escape it. You're going to hear it. And so it becomes kind of part of everybody's life. And so I think definitely there there are some great folks writing about pop music right now. Actually, somebody who doesn't write as much about current pop music, but I I wanted to bring him up in particular because he's probably my favorite music writer going, it has been for a while, is a guy named Tom Ewing. Mm, uh, I don't know him uh, He's been around for a while He, he wrote uh, the Poptimist column at Pitchfork for many years Okay uh, And he, he runs a, uh, a blog called Popular uh, Which basically has been counting through he, He's in the UK And he writes about every song that's hit number one on the UK pop charts in order huh. uh, he's, up, he's up to somewhere in the early 2000s now He's been doing this for years, you know Starting back like in the 1950s Wow uh, But Uh, But everything he writes is just, there's always one of those aha moments Mm. in in his writing. And he just really kind of sees the wiring under the board and, and figures out the, the connections that are happening that, that, that you don't even realize until, until he puts the, pulls the dots together. Uh, And I think he's really, really great. And, and I know, you know, I, I mentioned pitchfork first and for some people that's a turn off the, the podcast right there. That would have been the case for me a couple years ago too. Really? Oh, I,
0: I, I've always thought pitchfork while there's, I feel like pitchfork for a lot of people, it's uh, throwing the baby away with the bathwater. It's just like that thing of like, yes, there's some absolute garbage there, but when it's good, it's amazing.
1: That, that, that is true. And I also think over the last few years, uh, I think they've really sort of toned down on the garbage, Mm. you know, or or at least, you know, that maybe it's just kind of as the general trend in music and, and in, and in culture has sort of veered away from snark. Uh, they've sort of, you know, followed suit to the point where they really, you know, they were known as like, you know, the place that, you know, had, you know, the, the review with, uh, of of the jet album with the monkey pissing in his mouth or whatever. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, funny moment, But, like, you would never see something like that there now.
0: I'll always take that snark of uh, when they did the uh, sorry for that black kids LP. Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and I actually like that LP, so I can still take that. That was hilarious that they did. Yeah,
1: that. I can't believe I'm actually defending Pitchfork. Here. It's not a <laughs> position I thought I would be.
0: In. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, you, but, you were saying you, you were saying though. So you like some new Pitchfork stuff?
1: I do. Uh, and, and Tom's actually not writing there actively anymore. But but if you go back and read his old Poptimist columns, there's some of the the best stuff that's really appeared online. And and if you're also look, going to look at Pitchfork for older columns while you're there, check into uh, Nitsu Nitsuaibi, who's also no longer. Or writing about music, but he, he did a column called "Why We Fight," which was absolutely yeah. enlightening, and brilliant, and I loved it. But there's so many people who are who are actively writing now who are good too. I really like uh, uh, David Greenwald, who who used to write. Uh, or I guess he still has a, a rock blog. Was his mm-hmm. he was kind of one of the first MP3 bloggers, but now he's the the full time critic at the Oregonian, uh, at the newspaper out in Portland, mm-hmm. uh, and he does really good work. Um, Man, there's so many people I'm forgetting. Uh, Maura Johnston, oh, I yeah, think. she's the best. She, I,
0: when, she, when she ran Idolator, that was probably some of the best stuff. And, uh, yeah, she's just so talented.
1: Yeah, she she continues to do a lot of, you know, she freelances in a number of areas. Um, it's funny, I don't, I, I mentioned that, you know, that Tom wrote it at Pitchfork. But I, I didn't find him by reading Pitchfork. And at this point, I don't really find anybody by reading a particular website. Like, I don't think there's any music website that's an actual destination site for me at this point mm. it's more that you know i've i've kind of curated you know my my twitter feed to contain all all of the people whose work i find really interesting and i read their articles when they when they post them to twitter regardless of where they're writing and you know and and from there you know if things get retweeted i see something else that, that i really like and then i go and start following that person too and that's sort of so the, you know, my Twitter feed has really kind of become the uh, the music magazine for me more than any than any particular website.
0: I, I have somewhere you know I can literally remember I was I was recounting to a friend an argument we had like six years ago where he told me he doesn't read RSS anymore because his Twitter takes care of it for, for him. I was like, you have to be kidding me! I will never give up my RSS reader, and it's like I open my RSS reader like once every month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I I can't say I get much use out of out of my Feedly account anymore, which replaced yes. my my Google Reader account. Same. Um, but who else? Uh, I love Stephen Hayden, who used to write. Yes, for Greyman, I,
0: I so I got turned on to him from you, and okay. I really enjoy what he does. And I even listened to one of his podcasts last week and really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, he actually just put one out with uh, the remaining members of Stone Temple Pilots this week. I saw uh, that. And uh, even if you're not a big fan of them it's worth listening to for you know they get into like their history of like uh playing in cover bands in the 80s and stuff and just sort of what what it what it takes to build a life in music and it, I it was really interesting because i think stone temple pilots kind of you know I, i'm old enough to remember when they kind of broke on into the scene and they were sort of these you know you know they're kind of at, Nowhere, people that thought they were going to be a flash in the pan, but these guys had been, you know, grinding it out in the clubs for a decade, and you know, in cover bands and in, in other bands doing originals and stuff, and and it really kind of gave some some perspective to what it means to for, for an artist to really put the work in to build a career, and 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 then of course you know they they were probably rightly criticized for being careerists later on, but but you know there's something to be said they wanted to be musicians for a living and they made that happen and I don't know how you do that without having some sort of career call for that, you know? Uh,
0: you know, anybody who would call them careerists is, oh, oh, to me a little off because I, and it, I, I, I I, often make a joke of like when people get into distance don't have a pot so I'm like, Did you ever listen to any of those records that happened after the Bad Grunge one? Because there is so (laughs) much like if you basically had put a different singer on it, they would have been part of Elephant Six. Like they were so psychedelic. They were doing crazy through the Beals. There's no heavy riffs anymore.
1: Well one thing that came up in that podcast is that I think next month is the twentieth anniversary of Tiny Music. So I'm mm. a gift shop. Yeah. And, so, and I, be, beyond the lookout, I'm sure the think pieces will be coming.
0: <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I'm 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 armed with mine already because because I, <laughs> I, I have to tell you, like what I learned about record production from the inventiveness on those records, I will always say I would have loved it without some of Scott Wilde's year type of vocals, but <laughs> I still, like, I appreciate what those guys did musically so much, and the production is just so insane.
1: Yeah, they're, they're you know, they're, they spend their time in the studio, they really know what they're going for, and they were raised on a diet of, you know, the Beatles and the Beach Boys and all that stuff, and so, you know, I, I think every band that kind of grew up with, with that as their musical background at some point, you know, tries to make that leap, and they just happen to be one of those groups that has the talent to actually to make something out of that instead of just making a big mess. Uh,
0: You you know, I was, I was just doing, I think it was, I I did a podcast with uh, Aaron from Copeland and we had this, I talk about the Beatles uh, and like Aaron and I were both absolutely, I want to say I'm going to be, those look like total asshole if it wasn't him. Um, I do, I did, did, I've done eight podcasts in the last 10 days. So, Um, but we were talking about how, some people are totally ignorant of the Beatles throughout their lives. And you either have to go one way or the other. If you're going to be good with music is that you're either worship the Beatles Mm. and analyze every moment, or you're so ignorant of them till such a late age that it's embarrassing. And then you get really into them and that's what (laughs) kind of forms you. But if you're somewhere in the middle of like, I guess the Beatles are cool. Like you're terrible at music usually.
1: Well, if you're like, if you've heard the Beatles and you're just like, I guess they're cool, then you probably don't get music. (laughs) Well, well, well done. Well done. (laughs) There's so many great music writers I love. Uh, before before I cap off the list, I just want to shout out, I do a lot of work at, at Alternative Press, mm-hmm. and I know AP doesn't always have a reputation for a pla- as a place for great music writing, mm-hmm. and I think that's mainly due to the bands that we cover mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the writing that goes into the magazine. And so I just want to shout out to some folks like... Uh, Andy Zaleski and Bob Ham and, uh, Maria Sherman. Uh, I think they have a really, really excellent writing staff, uh, you know, freelancers and staffers. And I think that, you know, if, if, if you're not put off by the subject matter, I think you're going to find some really well-written, interesting stories in there.
0: I agree. I think that there is shockingly good stuff in there sometimes. Well, let me just say that as a freelancer, one of the the perks
1: of being freelance is that I can kind of pick and choose what I do. So there's a reason that you see me doing a lot of uh, features and things like that for the magazine, and not doing a lot of listicles and stuff for the website. Mm. You know, just you know, God bless the people who are who are interested in doing that kind of stuff. It's just not for me.
0: Uh, I I totally understand because I c- can't get into that. But then every once in a while, I'm like, well, you know, when I really have to get this information across, I guess I'm going to have to just make that listicle. <laughs> and th- th- then all of a sudden, it's six things that your band uh, should have, six uh, services your band should have been using yesterday. And I reduced myself to the pit of hell that I make fun of others for. Um, So with that, though, um. We had another discussion, or you had a tweet that I really like, because I've thought a lot about it, because I've sadly, unfortunately, had to come to grips with this um, sometimes, is that I've supported some bands where I wish I could go. I'd love to take that back. And Mm. you had tweeted about how you wish you hadn't helped support Neck Deep. I wonder, though, is there really any way for us to vet our future support for anybody because... No, I, I think I think you have to take
1: people on their own terms. And that means, you know, taking them with whatever information you have at the time and then just kind of as you move forward and you find out more about these people and you find out what they're like and, and what their thoughts are on, on certain subjects and what their political orientations are and all that stuff, then you kind of, you know, then, then you, you make up your mind and you make your decisions and you... And you, and you decide who you're going to continue to back and who you're not. Uh, and you know, I, I don't want to get into that band specifically really, mm. but, uh, but I think in general, one thing that, and we, I'm, I'm jumping ahead to a subject that you had queued up, okay. uh, which is that about, about kind of getting older in a, in a
0: young man genre. Yes. Well, and, we'll, and, we'll, 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 use this as a great seg later.
1: Yeah. And so well, there's, it's a, funny, there's an area that kind of hits on both of those things, which is that one thing I've found as I've gotten older is that I'm not necessarily a fan of bands anymore. I'm a fan of a song, or I'm a fan of an album, or I'm a fan of a couple albums, but I kind of don't have expectations that someone's not going to disappoint me anymore. Really?
0: So, so, yeah. so it, was it was it that somebody disappointed you so much? Like, is this a broken-hearted, oh, it, bitter thing? Like, what, oh, what, what where does this not, come from? Not, not somebody, everybody. <laughs> I <laughs> okay, mean, I, I want to hear no, this. I, explain I'm, explain I, it.
1: I'm, I'm 36 years old, mm-hmm. and I've been crazy about music since I was probably about 10. And I think every band I've loved at some point has put out the album that broke my heart. Really? And hmm. Yeah, and I think at some point you just realize it's like you know what? It's okay. I don't have to like that album just because I like this band. This isn't a team sport, you know. Just because you know, just because I love their first three albums, doesn't mean that I need to feel like I'm a bad fan or even care if I'm a bad fan. If album four is terrible, and I come out and say it. You know, it's, it's, it's about finding the art that, that moves you and motivates you and, and thrills you and, you know, and you hope that these people who have done it in the past will do it for you again, but it doesn't mean that you need to be like on their team.
0: I I do. This is interesting because I guess I, you know, like after you said this, I was like, okay, let's scan through the favorite bands. Have they all made a record that I hate? And it's like, oh yeah, they all have. But I guess maybe I just have I, I think I, maybe I almost expect every record to suck because of yeah. what I do. I just also like I know and, how much and, lightning and in a bottle it is. It's
1: really hard to make a good record. It really is. You um, know, and I'm sure you know that better than anyone. You know, Yeah, and it, also it's I'm like, my next it's like, I'm a big baseball fan, you know, we always talk about how the best hitters in baseball are still only going to succeed three times out of ten, and I think there's something Hmm. like that to music, too. It's really hard to make good music, and, you know, unless you're uh, the aforementioned Beatles, uh, you're going to strike out a lot, And, and it doesn't mean that, you know... I don't have to pretend that all those the strikeouts are hits. I,
0: I, I, you know, that's a baseball analogy. What I could understand, which is rare, and two, I think that's very, <laughs> very good. Um, I, I think that that is the thing too. Is that like, it, it is so hard to um, a lot of what my new book is about is about is why this is inconsistent. and, Like the ideas that go into it and how hard of a balance it is to keep making great art year after year. God, there's just there's just this thing of like. A good album is usually somebody making exactly what they want to hear, but then we expect that person to never mature and go past that, or only go as past that as we would like. So if they get too progressive, it's good, but if they stay the same, it's too the same, it's boring, and finding that balance is just so insanely hard. Well, it's because we you know, we want art
1: to thrill us. We mm-hmm. want it to, to surprise us and catch us off guard and take our breath away, and... You're not going to catch me off guard and take my breath away by doing the thing that you just did because you just did it, mm-hmm. but you're also not necessarily gonna do that by doing something that's really different from what you just did because something that's really different from what you just did I probably don't care about or I would' been into it from somebody else doing it in the first place you know it it's really a damned if you do damned if you don't kind of situation, and you know that's that's probably I, I don't know if I want to call it unfair
0: because it's just. That's just how art works, you know. Okay. So aside from this, though, there, there's something I want to drill deeper, though, about this. So, okay. so were you were you a musician? Technically, I <laughs> suppose.
1: I, I I played piano for about a decade, but stopped that about the time I graduated high school. I uh, played bass guitar for a couple years, but the, but I was never like in a serious band or any of that kind of stuff. Never really took a real crack at songwriting or any of that.
0: So. So I guess maybe like what my thing is is like why I fall in love with some of these bands and like really have an allegiance to some of the bands is I really like their personalities and I like okay. them and all that and so then I do have this like extreme allegiance and even to like you are like there, there, there was like a funny thing I realized was like um yeah I don't want to name drop so I'm not going to say who it is so I don't sound like that guy but like there's a band I've known the guy forever I always liked him and I loved reading interviews with him but I never really loved his band until something he just put out years down the line and it's just like that thing of like I I think I do fall in love like honestly I liked reading Kanye uh, interviews more than I liked his music until Dark Twisted Fantasy Um, (laughs) so I think like there is a thing of like I think I I sometimes like that about them but so when you you, when you really like a band's personality or because there's is there a band that, that you ever like? Find yourself like with that kind of kind of bonding with that they're like thinking like you or they're saying what you wish you say or they're saying the right oh, things? Oh, for,
1: for sure. I even follow like some bands on Twitter that I don't listen to hmm. or, or haven't listened to in years, just because I find them entertaining as personalities or they're they're on my wavelength or there's something insightful about them as human beings. Yeah, that absolutely. There there are people that I'm a fan of, but it doesn't. I guess the the separation for me is that just because I'm a fan of the person, I no longer feel like I'm obligated to be a fan of the art in advance. Hmm. You know? Uh, whereas I think when you're younger, there's such this, you know, there's such a, maybe maybe it's that whole me against the world thing, where, like, you, you really do feel like you're in this together with this artist. And there's such, almost, like, this obligation and this expectation. And it's funny, because, you know, I... I like we've said you know i i cover a lot of punk and indie emo uh, you know post-hardcore whatever you want to call this whole that whole section of the music world which mostly has younger fans and so you know i'll follow bands and stuff and you know their their new albums coming out and you know they start tweeting all their fans, you know, to, to hype them up and telling them, "Remember, you know, the the, the video is coming out this day, and I need you all to tweet about it and tell the world about how great it is." And then they retweet every compliment that somebody posts about them on the internet. And and, and I know you've talked about some of, some mm. of the Twitter stuff, but aside from the Twitter bad habits that are uh-huh. that are involved in that, um, it's really just that whole idea of you know. We need to be on this guy's team and we need to support him and we're gonna Mm. get the street team together and we're gonna rally (laughs) everybody to listen to his new single Mm -hmm. before we've even heard the single and have any idea if we actually like the song. Yeah. You know? That that is a bum out. Yeah, and well it's just something, you know, as I've gotten older I realize, you know, wait a sec. I I don't need to, to worry about that. I don't need to feel that way. I can just take the music as it is and be a fan of what I'm a fan of and not worry if I'm like Off the team for this album.
0: I I I hear you. I think that that's a a really good point. But but so then though, like getting into this thing for supporting. I mean, it sounds like you've had your regrets about supporting a band or two. Does that? How does that square with this? I mean, like I was saying, I, I definitely have
1: you know regrets of bands that I've supported who then come out and say things or do things that that I really find appalling and sort of, you know, having some agita about it right now with Kanye. Mm. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, trust, trust, trust me, I, I, I do not like walking into Brooklyn dinner parties and having to be the Kanye defender after that Bill Cosby tweet.
1: Yeah. There, there's, you know, there's certain things he said that are just, that are indefensible, uh, you know, and I think there, there's some very, you know, we could have a very serious socio-political discussion or perhaps some people who are more qualified to talk on the subject can have that very serious social-political discussion and I can sit there quietly and listen and learn something from them, uh, which is probably the best way to go in that situation. But, but that said, yeah, you know, definitely you, you run into times where people who you've supported turn out to be maybe not the sort of people that you want to be connected to anymore, uh, and I, I I don't think there's really a way to vet it in advance. I, I think it's more just a matter of being willing to not to drop people, but just to say, okay, uh, I don't agree with this, and and I'm, I'm going to distance myself from this person now. And and I think that's okay. I,
0: I I think some of it too is is that there's always so much we can all do, and then it's it's how you deal with it after. I, I I've been having a thing of um some people have decided to attack me for my work with leftover crack okay and um you know and saying it's morally reprehensible for me to work with a band that talks about killing police and i say have you heard of the word satire before and then that debate happens but there's also like this thing i have of shutting down people's art and shutting down things and then also who do we invite into polite company like just as we, you know, like when we start to talk about these kids who are sending dick pics to underage girls, it's like, I don't think you should be allowed to sit at the big kids' table and get the same attention. Just as I don't <laughs> think white power people should be allowed to get that attention. But do I feel the same about people who make a satirical song about shooting cops? Mm, yeah. No, I think they're allowed to sit at the big kids' table, actually. And that's just where yeah. I'm kind of personally drawing that line. And can you say it's convenient from. 15 years of friendship, possibly, but like...
1: Well, yeah, but there's also, you know, a a political and social ideology there at play in that, I mean, cops are in a... You know it's one it, it's the difference between punching up and punching down in a position of authority in a position of power. And so it's different to to criticize them, even if it's to you know sarcastically say that you want to kill them. And that's a different thing from you know attacking somebody who's in, who's in a lower position or a position of less privilege and a position of less political power. See, it, so, so I th- it, I think it is okay to draw those lines. I think there are ways you can say that's okay and this isn't and and have some f- some footing to stand on besides just, you know, personal preference.
0: Yeah. So now the one thing though is is that when we talk about the punching down, it, is there anybody who it isn't punching down when it comes to the internet herd these days? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like that thing of like you know, yeah, yeah, no matter yeah, who, what, like who, if you're on the, the pe- bad side of that. Yeah,
1: the, the the people who aren't punching down are are the so called social justice warriors, which I which I certainly don't see how that name is an insult or is supposed to be one. I'm glad that they've that that you know that's been embraced uh, in in the same way that that punk was embraced as a as a name as a. As demeaning term that was yeah. that was reclaimed, no, you know. I, 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 but don't, I think there are a lot of people fighting the good fight out there, really. And it, you know, the internet is such a such a, a mess right now. It's such mm-hmm. it, it's a messy place full of people on on all sides, kind of acting as if there are no consequences to anything. And maybe that's because there there aren't in clearly visible ways right now. Uh, man, this this could be a whole podcast. Yeah, that's true.
0: Well, I, I think that's a fun—you know, I was hearing a really, like, funny point on the podcast the other day that, like, you know, like, that's the stage we're in right now is, like, finding who we are in the gang-hanging mentality of Twitter, whereas, like, two years ago, we were uh, just at that, like, you make funny jokes about Chris Brown and he deletes his account thing, and it seemed a little more fun. Yeah, yeah, but you know what— uh- I hate
1: to be a downer on this podcast, but mm-hmm. you know li- life isn't real fun for a lot of people that's right true. now, that's and true. and and if that's showing up on Twitter, and I think it's a reflection of, of their lived reality, and 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 if anything, you know w- when we when we see that stuff on Twitter and it, it shocks us and it disappoints us, it's like, well, that's the shit that's been happening in real life that we've been turning a blind eye to, and it's probably good that we're getting exposed to it. You
0: know that that is a hundred percent, and you know, like I, I always say, it, it's like I do side with the uh, social justice warrior eighty five percent of the time, just as I do with anything I have any affiliation with. But you know, it's like that. that my fa- my favorite joke is like, oh yeah, well, what's your identity? Well, it's definitely not white guy because that's the people I hate the most usually most of the time. <laughs> it's, I see what white guys are doing, and I'm like, what? No part of that. No part of that. No part of that. You know, just one walk through Midtown on my way back from the studio, and I see a whole lot of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's also like, you know, when you try and divorce yourself from that, I think you're kind of abdicating your own responsibility to, Mm. to, you know, to take ownership of what what your people are doing, whether you want them to be your people or not. Because, you know, there are a lot of other groups out there who don't really have any choice about, you know, getting lumped in with other people of their... Their skin tone, or their uh, their background, or you know their place of birth.
0: It, it is true, and if only everybody could judge me like the frat bro that I hate. Because, <laughs> wait one second. I want to tell you first about Noise Creators. Noise Creators is a company that was started by Johnny Minardi, who runs self-titled management, works at Equal Vision as AR guy, and used to be at Fueled by Robin and myself. I'm a record producer and mastering engineer who's been at it for over 20 years in the punk scene, and I wrote the book Get More Fans, The DIY Guide to the New Music Business, which is one of the most popular books written on how to promote a band in the modern music business we're here to try to help musicians get with better producers we can help musicians get a better deal and work with real top talent instead of the guy who just opened a studio down the road what our site offers at noisecareers.com is a way to get to know all the best producers in the game today you can browse profiles listen to spotify playlists listen to podcasts read interviews with them to get to know them look through bios and discographies and a bunch of other stuff. We also have a great blog where we're helping you get to know the best musicians today. We're profiling the best underground bands that haven't really popped yet and doing lots of other cool stuff. If you want to support Off The Record, it really helps to support noise creators and help spread the word about it. The reason I'm able to keep doing off the record is with the popularity of noise creators. So please help spread the word and check out what we do. And if you know bands who are going to go into the studio soon, tell them to look at noise creators before they do. Thanks so much. Okay, so let's get back into something a little bit more fun, yes. fun um, so that we don't have to be the downers. Um, so one of the fun things is you and I are we will see each other at a show. And we'll sit there. We'll talk about the way things used to be. Then I turned to you and I'm like, oh, the band's starting. I have to run away from the speakers because I can't put earplugs in my ears and run to the back of the room. And um, I wanted to talk because I don't really get to talk to a lot of people who are similar in age to me about how their appreciation for the younger people's music has changed. I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on that.
1: Um, elaborate a little bit. on. What okay. You're-
0: so okay. I always make this, like, analogy of, like, when people talk about how Blink-182 changed on the self-titled album. It's like, well, right. you get in your 30s, do you really want to sing about dog farts anymore? It's like, it eventually gets a little old for you. And I have this thing of, like, that there is still, like, a thing of, like, I can put on a pop punk record and I'm like... It can really emotionally identify with it, but like I'm also like getting a little older and less angry, and like when somebody's screaming, I'm like, "Whoa, guy, 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 relax here. Come on, come on." Got to talk about that anger. Maybe you see somebody a therapist once a week or something. <laughs> like we really got to relax here a little. It's not that difficult. But like, have you found the way you appreciate this music to be any different over the years, or has it genuinely stayed the same? Uh, well, I mean
1: it's a funny thing for me because I, so, so let me give you a little bit of my musical journey. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I got really, I, I got into music a little bit earlier, I think than most people do. I was really like maybe nine or 10 instead of like 12 or 13. And that kind of made a big difference at my age because I got into this thing that was being called modern rock or college rock, hmm. uh, kind of in like like 1990-91-ish when I was like 10 years old and so I kind of experienced alternative music going from like this underground thing. We're like, I remember the, the local radio station. I, I, I discovered this music because the local radio station would play Casey Kasem's Casey's top 40 every Sunday night. And I would listen to it on my radio in my bedroom. And then at 11 o'clock when it ended, they had an hour of music from 11 to midnight on Sunday night where they played alternative music. Mm. And and so I just kept listening one night after the countdown ended. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> this is a, I've never heard any of this on the radio before. What is this? Uh, and so so that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole. And so I kind of experienced that whole, you know, the rise and fall of grunge and alternative music and, and was a fan through all of that. And then sort of as I got into, like, my college years, uh, you know, that, that whole alternative scene turned into nu metal and mm-hmm. rap rock and all that stuff, which just really put me off, you know, it was not something I had any interest in, I wasn't getting any enjoyment out of it, uh, and at the same time, I wasn't really into what was going on in indie rock, and I never hmm. really was, so, I, I, like, those college years for me were kind of strange, I, I spent, you know, I, I got really into like, uh, that was when kind of the all-country thing was happening, hmm. uh, like, uh, like I got really into like, the old 97s and Whiskey Town Yeah, and I, and I actually K- like that stuff a lot too uh, yeah and so, so I kind of went backwards to that stuff. I was listening to a lot of, like, Who Screwed You and The Replacements mm-hmm. and kind of going back to older stuff like that. Uh, it was kind of a strange time for me. Uh, and I wasn't really finding a lot that was happening that was new, that was exciting me. And that really turned in, like, 2002, 2003 – when I discovered bands like Brand New and Taking Back Sunday Mm. and uh, My Chemical Romance, uh, you know, kind of as they were all starting to take off. And I... You know, even at that time, I was you know too old for it in theory. You know, I was I was out of college at that point, mm-hmm. uh, but it, you know, it was the kind of thing where I listen to it. Or like like uh, the first Coheed and Cambria album, I would put it on, and I'm like, whoa, this is really exciting. Uh, it's it, and it's not something I'm hearing. It's not something that the the music magazines are talking about. It's not something that the music blogs are talking about. It's mm-hmm. this other thing that only these high school kids are into, and it's really it's more exciting than anything else I'm finding out there right now. Um, And so, so my relationship with this whole scene, you know, I was never, I was never like a big punk kid. Punk wasn't really my thing in high school. It wasn't until, until, you know, I was, you know, 22, 23, 24. And, and emo was sort of making its mainstream breakthrough that I really got into that stuff. Uh, And so, so even today, you know, obviously, you know, that scene has changed a, a, a whole bunch mm-hmm. from, from two thousand two to, to now. Uh, but it's really like I, I, I don't know, I I can appreciate craftsmanship, I can appreciate great songwriting, uh, but I really get the biggest thrill from kids who are discovering they can do stuff that they didn't know they could do and that nobody knew they could do. Mm. I love, I love, I feel like most bands, I love their debut album more than anything else they ever do. Mm. Because it, you know, it's not just that having your whole life to, to write your debut album. No, I think that that's a huge miss. It's that when a band's 18, 19, 20. Yeah, no, it's definitely not that. It's more that when a band is that young, there's so much that they haven't heard. There's so much that they've missed Mm-hmm. that even if they're trying to copy something that there's so many so many obvious <laughs> holes in what they've heard that they're just filling in with whatever they've made up that kind of plugs it mm-hmm. that that suddenly you get this creativity and it, mm-hmm. it's not like oh they were focused on trying to do something different and creative it's like they just they just didn't know what was out there so they made shit up mm-hmm. you know and 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 i always find that exciting it really you know, when I hear a young band just hit on something that nobody's heard before because it's complete happy accident, they were, you know, trying to rip somebody else off and ended up doing it the wrong way. Like that—that's what really excites me in music, and so, so I still get that that kick out of a lot of this stuff.
0: I, I I think you make a great point with that. I think I think it's also interesting. Like, so I had my what I call my emo rebirth in that time. Like, I stopped listening to a lot of the stuff, and then when I heard like "Tell All Your Friends." That's when I got excited about it again. I think I was like doing a North Star record, and they like played it for me, and I was like. Okay, I can listen to pop punk and emo again because Screeching Weasel got old for me, and all these bands got old. And mm. this is fresh and new. And I think you do hit on like a really good thing of that. Like there is something, and maybe that is like what I'm kind of like looking for in this. Is that like I, I think maybe that's not what I realize is like there. I'm always looking for the band that is like the lightning in the bottle, and yeah, exactly. Like that is the thing, and I think it's interesting because like I don't always know if it's like the debut as much as like the there, there's yeah. like the one that they, that it starts to work with album and like, but yeah, it's, there's,
1: it's it's not always the debut, but it's always, there's gotta be some element of like happy accident or like just sort of accidental brilliance involved. Mm-hmm.
0: You I, know? I think there's even, there, there's even like two more things. And like, this is always fresh in my mind because this is what I write about for the new book every day is like one, there's no expectations already because you haven't established yourself. And then like, you know, all of a sudden your mind is polluted with like what you have to do next. And that's all you're thinking instead of you're just feeling. And I think that that's the biggest thing. Like I like one of the main things I argue in this book is like, you can't you have to always put what you're feeling before what you're expected to do or what you're thinking. Don't let the head get in the way of the heart. And then like secondly, too, is that I think you put another thing is like there's so, comes a point in a lot of musicians where they have heard enough creative options that they think like it's kind of this like mischief thing or uh, mysterious thing of like, oh, well, if I just mix enough ingredients, it's going to be good gumbo. And it's like, no, gumbo is a really precise thing. And like there's a reason like that first 1975 record, like I hear everybody <laughs> try to talk to me about, but it's like. They're like, there's a million sounds in there. I'm like, and never have a a million sounds sounded more cohesive than in that record. And it's very rare that happens. I love that record. And and I can't wait for the new. Yeah, I've been intentionally not listening to any more singles, because I just want to, like, say, actually, you know what's funny, too? I have not listened to the Kanye record, because I refuse to do it until I can sit down, your finished product, and put on headphones and pay attention to it. Because I don't want to deal with going through title or going through a website or going through another change. I just want to hear final artistic statement. And I, that's another old man thing I've gotten yeah, into.
1: and, and I, I, I think you know, both of those cases are people with a particular creative brilliance that's really rare to find, but I think for the average musician or the average songwriter, Mm -hmm. it's almost like, you know, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. Just the sense that (coughs) once you kind of know how a song is supposed to be written, then you stop writing these completely fucked up songs that are Mm -hmm. written all wrong that don't make any sense and somehow turned out to be genius. You know? It's, It's like it, it's like you go from like this kind of instinctual brilliance to 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 competence, and yes. competence isn't exciting. You know, comp- competence is great if you're if you're trying to to build a a shelving unit. You know,
0: mm. <laughs> if, I, see, I don't know if, if I'm totally if with you though.
1: You competence. I, I think that uh,
0: there's if, some artists who get when they get competent, they're good. It's just a different type of good. Like I think of like. Like, I, you know, I think of the replacements. I like some late-period play- replacements. When Paul Westerberg really learned how to craft a song and it stopped being so chaotic, it was still good. Okay, that's fair.
1: That's fair. And, I think that there's, you know, there's certainly exceptions to every rule. Yeah,
0: I, I'm even saying, and, though, more... And I would I also just, say that, yeah. you know,
1: we're we're talking about this whole kind of punk world. Yes. And if I were talking pop music, that's a whole different thing. I, mm. I, I love, you know, a really great, well-written pop song. Uh, the, the Grammys were just on the other night. And uh, Ed Sheeran's "Thinking Out Loud" one for for I think Song of the Year maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I'm not an Ed Sheeran fan at all. No, but that song is perfection. Really? The first time I've my always- wife and I heard it, he he was performing it on some awards show, and I swear we both we both spent like two minutes trying to figure out who did that song originally hmm. because we were so sure that it was a cover from the '60s or the '70s uh, because it just. It was just so perfectly crafted and composed. Mm. Uh, so, so when it comes to pop music, I, I very much appreciate that kind of that kind of perfection. It's just it has to be, you know that that's that's the other side of competence. It's that extreme perfection. I can appreciate that. It's that kind of just just plain old competence in the middle that that loses me.
0: I, I see. See, maybe that's what the thing is. You know what I think is like interesting thing is that there's this lighting in the bottle stage and then there's the actually being con um like deliberate and getting what you want but many people can't do that transition and that's two different types of artists i think is what it really is and they both can be good but there is something a little bit more exciting about the first one with that we're about out of time but as you No, I would love to get a recommendation from you if you have one for the week.
1: Okay, uh, the one thing that I have been spinning incessantly is the new single called Fall On Me uh, by the band Kitten. Um, For people who don't know them, uh, it's uh, a, a woman named Chloe and a rotating a now rotating cast of backing characters. She's been through a couple of bands who, who have come and went all under the kitten name. Uh, but they have a new EP coming out, and the song Fall on Me, I, I tweeted about it a couple of days ago, and I, I said that it sounded like Susie Sue covering Suede's Trash. Uh, it's just this <laughs> wow. wonderful, beautiful, Brit-poppy, swoony, gothy, really perfect pop number. And, and I've just been obsessed with it, and I can't wait for that EP to come out. Um, I've really liked some of their work they've done in the past, but this is like like next-level stuff. and So so that's what I've been listening to a lot of lately.
0: Nice. Now, I, I definitely am going to listen to that on the way home. Um, I'm going to just give the quick recommendation. Uh, I've just been reading the book Orwell's Revenge by Peter Huber, and if you liked 1984, this is kind of an alternate reality to the book 1984 knowing what we know now about technology and it is just I I read it slow because it's so good I can't I don't want the book to end and I never read anything slow so awesome
1: Uh, I'll have to check it out
0: mm Thanks for listening to Off The Record. If you enjoy the show, the best way to say thank you is to share this episode on social media, whether it's your Twitter, your Facebook, your Tumblr, your whatever, and just tell your friends. We just want the word to spread. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, it's at OffTheRecordFM. You can get show notes, explore old episodes at OffTheRecord.FM. If you think we should be talking about something, please let us know with the hashtag TellOTR on Twitter or ask us via Tumblr at OffTheRecord.FM. This episode was produced by Jesse Cannon and Ashley Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week.